Well, I tell you what, if the pump ain't primed today, I don't stand a chance. <laughs> Wonderful job. Thank you guys so much. Well, this is our fifth and final message in our prayer series today, week one. Uh, you may recall we looked at how to pray. Uh, week two, then, how not to pray. Week three, we looked at the power of prayer. Last week, week four, uh, Corey did an amazing job talking about prayer and fasting and its importance. Well, today, not only will we continue in our study of prayer, but I want us also to participate. I want you to have the opportunity to practice your prayer. And so throughout our service today, uh, just as I'm up here earlier than you're used to, right, uh, we're going to have several opportunities for you to pray during our service. Uh, and my prayer is that you would participate well in that time. Charles Spurgeon said this, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. Now that's coming from the lips of one of the greatest preachers this world has ever known. But I do think it's so important for us not to just have the, the knowledge of prayer, but for us to have the discipline and the practice of prayer also. We begin this uh, series then uh, on week one, and we all came to that, that honest assessment, myself included, that uh, for the typical believer today, and most of us in this room, uh, even your pastor, we all come to that place where we say, you know, I, I'm not confident as far as my devotion to prayer. Uh, if I have a prayer life, it's inadequate at best, and that's where most believers fall today, which is why Jesus spoke so much on prayer. And not only that, he modeled prayer for his disciples and for us today also. So prayer is mentioned in nearly every book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation and nearly every book in between. There are 650 different recorded prayers in scriptures, and 25 of those are from the mouth of Jesus himself. And in these prayers, not only do we see and hear both Old Testament and New Testament uh, a desperation uh, of prayer and in prayer, but also a dependence on prayer. The, the, the believers in the early church and, uh, and even the, the Jews of the Old Testament just depended on that time with God. And I wonder, do we exhibit that same dependence today? Do we have that same confidence in the power of prayer. I'm reminded of a story I read some time back that was about a, a small town, and this town had always been a dry community. A local business owner then in, in that town was very wealthy, and uh, he decided that it was time that the town had a bar. And so he began the construction of, of this bar, but as he began, uh, the local Baptist church, as you can imagine, they uh, began to protest uh, they began to petition and, and even have prayer services praying that God would stop it. Unfortunately, nothing worked. The night before it opened, however, lightning struck that church and literally burned it to the ground. Burned it to the ground. Now, you can imagine the Baptist church, they were excited about this. They began rejoicing how, how God had intervened and even answered their prayers until they got notice that the bar owner was suing them for destruction of his building by either direct or indirect means. Well, the church then replied to the court order and denied vehemently that they had anything to do with the destruction of the building. When the case came before the court, the judge had, had read over the entire case, and he looked at all the congregation members that were there. He looked at the, the bar owner that was there, and he said, well, from... From what I am reading, this is very perplexing. 
He says, on one hand, I have a bar owner that is completely convinced in the power of prayer. And on the other, an entire congregation that is not. I hope that we are confident and also convinced in the power of prayer. And so with that said, today I want us to look at, at several things, but I want us to begin here. I want us to, to understand that idea that I think sometimes we, we take for granted, that Jesus alone is our intercessor. I want us to begin in Romans chapter 8. It's in your church app this morning. If you want to open that up, all the passages are there as well as a place to take notes as always, or you can open in your Bible. Romans chapter 8, Paul writes this, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us, for us all. How will we not also with him, how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Here Paul reminds us that, 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 that Jesus has that special place, that, that Jesus went to the cross for us. God gave his son, Jesus gave his life. And it's important for us to understand that when Jesus did, when, when he was stretched out on that cross, when, when he was held to it by the nails, as, as the blood was still dripping uh, from his wounds, he cried out in, in, in that final breath and in that final moment, it is finished. Now, when he said that, he, he was talking uh, about salvation. The work of salvation was complete. Prior to that, man had to go through, through, through priests. They had to go through certain rituals and, and sacrifices and, and ceremonies, all to just come into the presence of God or certainly to be forgiven of their sin. Christ reminded us that when he died on that cross, the work of salvation was finished. But church, I want you to understand, he said, it is finished, salvation he didn't say, I am finished. And so at this very moment, what Paul reminds us is this, that Jesus is seated in this very moment, just as much as you're seated in this auditorium or, or in the choir loft or in the orchestra area, as much as you are seated here today, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And there he intercedes for us. That means he is pleading for every believer. He is there at the right hand of the Father. And when we lift our prayers to God, we do so through the, the person of Jesus Christ, who either through the power that is given to him to God answers those prayers, or he pleads our case before a holy God. Jesus intercedes for us. And that's why we pray to him. And that's why we pray only to Jesus. There is no one other than Christ. Not Mary, not Peter, only Jesus. He alone is our intercessor. He alone is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. I had a conversation with a lady. I won't share too much in case there, there would be someone who connected those dots, but um, it's a, a business that, that, I, that I go to somewhat frequently, and uh, there, there are a lot of ladies there, and I often share and, and, and try to uh, witness to those as I have opportunity. And one lady in particular who I've had a lot of, several opportunities to, to witness to, uh, she lost her teenage daughter in a car accident, an automobile accident, and was just devastated. 
as we had, had talked over not only months, but really a number of years, she had shared that she was a believer and, uh, as well as her daughter. And so we would talk about that on occasions. I would come in if, if I would interact with her. And, and one time, I'll never forget, I entered the, the establishment, and she came running up to me, and she said, I'm so excited. I've been communicating with my daughter. I said, you have, explain that. What do you mean? And, and she went on to tell me about this chat room that she had found that you go into this chat room, and there you give information. Hey, welcome home. Uh, there you give information uh, about uh, deceased uh, past relatives, and, uh, and they connect you with them. And then you're encouraged then to, to ask these deceased relatives for blessings. And she said, and so I've been doing that. I've been communicating with her, and, and I've been getting these blessings too. And I, and I said, well, do you have to pay for this? Yeah, you have to, you have to pay to be in there. And so I began to talk to her about the deception. And I said, listen, the Bible teaches us clearly that you don't need that. You don't need to go to the Internet, a chat room, another person. You get to speak directly to Jesus Christ. He alone is our intercessor. Friends, and then this was new to me. Maybe you're aware of that. Maybe it's more popular or less popular than I know. I, I don't know. Deceased relatives don't bless you. Jesus Christ, he alone blesses you. He does. And the Bible clearly, can, I don't have time to get into to all of it today, but, but the Bible clearly condemns this idea of spiritists or, or, or psychics. And what we learn as this, that they are either deceivers, charlatans, uh, fakes, they are either deceivers or they are being deceived and used by Satan himself. By demons. And, and as believers, we have no reason to be in either of those places, to be seeking for something when we have access to the Father through the Son. You say, well, okay, preacher, what, um, what about these Christian mediums? We see that on TV, and then we, we hear about it all the time. They, they're, they're, they claim to be believers and yet still connecting people. What does the Bible say about that? Well, I'm glad you asked. 2 Corinthians says this, chapter 11, beginning in verse 14. Again, all these in, in the app this morning. For Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. He says this, he reminds us, he says, don't be deceived. You may interact with people that are doing some, some acts that you would say, wow, this, I've never seen anything like this. This, this seems so spiritual. This, uh, this seems supernatural. And if it is, if they're not just uh, full-out deceivers, then they're being used by Satan. You say, okay, what about that whole thing with Samuel communicating with Saul? You know, if you're a Bible student today, you may be familiar with 1 Samuel chapter 28. And that was a time where Saul was the king and the Philistines were rising up against him. And prior to that, he had always gone to Samuel. Samuel was kind of bridge the gap of a judge, a prophet, and a priest. And so Saul would go to him to get information. Should I enter this battle? When should we enter this battle? What should we do? And God would communicate through Samuel to Saul. Samuel was now dead, and Saul was scared to death of the Philistines. So he, he, he goes to this, this person, this uh, medium of Endor, if you will, in order to connect with Samuel. And in the Bible then, Samuel actually speaks to Saul. 
But what you need to understand is that when Samuel did speak to Saul, it scared this, uh, uh, this uh, the, uh, what was she referred to as the, um, uh, where, where, uh, what was her name? The medium of Endor, right? It scared her to death. Why? Because it didn't speak through her. God allowed Samuel to speak directly to Saul. And when he did, he spoke judgment against Saul for what he had done. Jesus alone is our intercessor. And we need nothing else. And neither do we need to pray through anyone else. Let me take you to another passage, Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 26. It says this, for, for this, the writer says, for this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law of the appoints as high priests men who are weak. But the promise of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Listen, there is power in praying with another believer. When believers come together, and Jesus said, that there I am in their midst. There's power when we pray together. But you have no need to pray through another believer. There's no reason for that. No pastor, certainly no, no priest is necessary for you to communicate directly with God. Jesus is your intercessor. That veil, when Jesus cried out with his last breath, that veil that separated man from the holy holies, from the, the presence of God, it was torn from top to bottom. It was torn in two. You don't need that. Hey, it is great when you pray with someone else. It is great for you to pray often with a deacon. As I so encourage you to do that after each and every one of our services. There is a powerful times when you pray with a pastor or someone else. But you don't need to do it. You can communicate directly with God because Jesus is our intercessor. Now, I want us to begin in just a moment a, a time of prayer where we each Pray to God, knowing that, that Jesus is ushering, is carrying our prayers to Him, is pleading our case to Him. And the way we're going to do this uh, each time as we go through the service, I'm going to begin this time, and I'm going to say, Father in heaven, hear our prayers. And that is your opportunity to, to pray to God, you alone, or to pray with the person that is sitting with you. But for you to pray... And then after a time has passed, Terry will come to end our time and he will say, Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. And as he does, then together in unison, we will all say, Amen. That, that word, Amen, means let it be, that we are in agreement together, that we are believing for this. So now for our first time of prayer, would you close your eyes and bow with me? Father in heaven, hear our prayers.
Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Amen. If you would, please stand and join me. And let's continue singing to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We bow our hearts. We bow 
thing I want us to consider today is something that I think so you know we within the church and believers we we wrap our minds around it but I don't know that we always wrap our hearts around it um, we believe it but we don't necessarily live it and that's the idea of confession and forgiveness I want us to begin in first John chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 John writes if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, <laughs> and his word is not in us. I want us to see in this passage several things, but in these two verses. But first of all, understand this we don't confess our sins to God so that he'll know we sinned. He already knows that. The text says we're, we're a liar if we claim we're not. God knows we've sinned. He knows every sin before we commit them. While we commit them, and certainly once we have. We don't confess our sins because God needs to know we sinned, but because He knows that we need to know that we have sinned and that we need to repent from that. Because God knows already, that is why we need to come to Him. That is why we repent. That is why we need to... And it's forgiveness. But I want us to see this. Forgiveness, then, it hinges on that very first word. Look in your text. It says in verse 9, the first word, if. If we confess. That word, if, that is a conditional particle, right? It means this. It's a word that's used to express um, an action which hasn't yet taken place and isn't guaranteed to take place. Hasn't yet happened, and there's no guarantee that it will. That, that's why it's a conditional particle. In other words, the possibility of confession precedes the possibility of forgiveness. In order for us to be forgiven, then we have to come to that place where we're willing to acknowledge our sin and willing to confess it to God and God alone. Our forgiveness is conditioned on our confession. And notice this too, God forgives all confessed sin. There is no sin. You don't have to be ashamed to go before God. He already knows. And not only that, Christ died for all of them. Listen, all sin is forgiven. All sin, whatever you've done in your life, listen, God says it will all be forgiven if you'll confess them to Him. All sin. We see this not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and verse 14. Uh, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Again, we see that, that, that if of repentance, if you will do this, then I will answer your prayer. So, so the question remains, are we going to do it? You say, well, how do we confess through prayer? 
we pray to God and acknowledge His holiness. God, you alone are holy. You are in heaven. Hallowed be your name and your name alone. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And forgive me my sins. And we name our sins to God. God, I have done this. I did this moments ago. I did this last night. I did this last year. I did this last month. But we confess our sins to Him in prayer. But you know, too often, we choose concealing over confessing, don't we? We do. We, we, we want to hide it. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, The one who conceals his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses, and renounces them, will find mercy. Notice it says them, right? Well, we don't just sin one time. Oh, well, I learned my lesson there, right? He knows who he's dealing with, right? Uh, and renounces them. Not only confess and not only listen, God, I, I did this and forgive me and I'm going to keep on doing it. They don't work. But it's that idea of repentance, of renouncing it. That God, I want to turn from this. I want to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer to see that I never sin in this way again. God's mercy and grace, listen, friend, it will cover your sin if you're willing to uncover it, if you're willing to confess it to him. What a promise. That load, that burden you're carrying, he says, I'll take it. <laughs> you just got to give it to me. Would you do it? Will you do it? Another great passage I think is important for us to understand. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. It says this, the writer says, For I will forgive their wrongdoing, and I will never again remember their sins. Now here the writer is quoting Jeremiah, who was speaking to the Jewish uh, people at that time, and, and certainly uh, about the, the new covenant that would come. But to us who live in the new covenant today, uh, this sin, friends, that, that, that you can't forget, that you can't let go of, that, 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 that sin that, that Satan will not let you forget, that he, he keeps speaking into the back of your mind and speaks reminding of you, uh, you of it over and over again, that, 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 that sin that you cannot forget, if you'll confess it, God won't remember it. What you can't let go of, he says, if you will, I'll take it forever. What you can't forget, he won't remember. What is it in your life that you need to confess to God? That, that, that sin that you're holding on to and you think it's just too big, it's just too embarrassing. That he already knows. What is it you need to confess? You're not going to surprise him. <laughs> so why wouldn't you give it to him? And if you will, he'll relieve that burden that you've been carrying for, for how long? For how long? He says, just give it to me. Or perhaps, what is it that you've asked forgiveness of God? You've asked for it, but you continue to listen to the enemy. Yeah, you know, John 8, 844 tells us that, that Satan is the father of all lies. He seeks to deceive you, and he wants to continue to stay in your ear. He is that great deceiver who, who tells you, you're not forgiven. God won't forgive you of this. He can't forgive you of this. You can't forgive yourself of this. You can't be forgiven. But friends, while he deceives... Jesus intercedes. Will you give it to him? Will you trust him? 
And don't forget this. Let me take us back to, to week two. Remember we were talking about the, uh, what, what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer, but really it's the disciples' prayer. It was Jesus' prayer to them because it talks about asking forgiveness of sin, and Jesus certainly didn't do that. It's the disciples' prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 14, Jesus said this, For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. You've got to be reminded that we want that forgiveness. <laughs> we trust in that forgiveness. We hope in that forgiveness. But if we're going to receive it, we, we've got to be willing to give it as well. Paul reminds us that's especially true within the church. It's not just true, hey, forgive those out. Hey, they're lost. They're heathens. They don't know any better. We've got to forgive them. No, it, it's even more so in the church. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, he, he was writing a letter and, and speaking to the church at Colossae. And here's what Paul said, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, the believers in the church, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing one another, bearing with one another, bearing with, with one another in the church, those who even sin against you, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. How much more so is that true in the church? Listen, if you've got a grievance with a, with a brother or sister here, Paul says we're commanded and, and called to forgive one another. And if we're going to want it from God, certainly we, we need to be exercising it to one another. And so now as, as we enter this time of prayer, listen, I want to encourage you, ask for forgiveness. Whatever that sin is that's unconfessed, confess it to the Lord. Ask God to forgive you. And as he does, as his word promises, take hold of that. Receive that forgiveness. And then ultimately, as you are forgiven, be willing to forgive others. Extend that forgiveness. Will you join me in prayer again? Father in heaven, hear our prayers. Thank you for hearing our prayers. 
Would you read from God's word with me this morning? Number 6, 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. If you would please, would you stand and let's sing together again as we lift our hearts up to Jesus.
finally this morning, I want us to consider the, the joy in prayer as well. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. We do well to remember our blessings when we pray and to give thanks for them. Because I think too often we, we take them for granted. You may recall in week two, we, we looked at 1 Thessalonians. There are uh, three verses there that are a very short, each one of them, 16 through 18. It says this, rejoice always, verse 16. Verse 17 is pray constantly. And then verse 18, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I reminded us when we looked at this a few weeks ago that these are three imperative verbs, which means this, they're commands. He's not saying, consider this, but, but do this. Do what? What are the verbs? Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Now, we look primarily at verse 17 that talked about praying constantly. Remember the, the scriptures we looked at there? Not sometimes or occasionally or circumstantially when it's convenient, but always, constantly, in everything. He says, rejoice always. Now, you got to remember, this is coming from Paul. <laughs> Paul had been stoned to death and left for dead, thrown outside of the city, and yet brought back to life. Paul had been uh, beaten countless times, arrested numerous times, kicked out of, of cities. He had a rough go of it. And yet he's the one saying, rejoice always. There's always something to be happy about with Christ. We, we should always have joy. Never should we come in prayer, no matter how broken we might be, and not still find joy because of who we are in Christ. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. I won't go there. We looked at that. That doesn't mean 24-7. It's that, that Greek word, uh, a dialeptos, that means it's like that uncontrollable cough, right? You can't stop it. It just comes out. That's the way um, it, it, I would say it this way today. Prayer should ooze from a believer. When this world squeezes you and people stand against you, and you know, just prayer ought to be what comes out, right? We should, we should use it. But then finally here we see it says, he says, give thanks in everything. That, that word uh, in pos literally means everything that occurs in life, everything, every second, every moment, uh, every activity, uh, every happenstance, every crisis, everything. See, for the believers, struggles nor sickness, trials nor tests, failures nor fatigue should keep a believer from being thankful to God because of what Christ did for us. There's nothing greater than that because we know what Romans 8.28 says, that, that all things work together for the good of, the, of those who love God and who are called according to His purposes. It all comes together for His good, even the worst things in our life, if we'll trust Him with it. And so what we've got to do, and what we're so guilty of doing, and I say we, I'm going to say me, and I feel like maybe one or two of you fall into this too, 
But we we got to stop complaining to God about what we don't have. And far more often give thanks for what we do have. We have so much. Every person in this room, everyone. And I know what's going on in some of your lives right now, and in some of your past, and in some of your failures, and some of your marriages, and in some of your, with your children. I know about some of that. And I'm telling you, all of us have so much to be thankful for. Don't neglect to give thanks. I didn't know if time would permit. I'm going to give it a shot. I want to consider this too. This is a little bit uh, uh, out of sort for us, but another area that I think we just don't grab a hold of, and, and that's this idea, because we should be thankful, we should pray for everyone. For everyone. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul writing to, to Timothy, this young pastor, and giving him instructions to lead. He says this, first of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Now, you might take that as he's telling him, okay, pray for everybody in the church, but, but he continues on. For kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior. Why? Look at verse 4. Because God wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and mankind, and that is Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. Now, he says a lot here, and I'm just going to say a little, but Paul's desire for the church that he was leaving behind, Timothy, this, this legacy that would carry on, was that the, the, the church, the believers, would, would live in peace. Why? So that the gospel would prevail. Yeah, let's be peacemakers. Let, 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 let's love one another. Let's, let's pray even for the leaders. Can I tell you something? You can't hate somebody you're praying for. You can't do it. You can try. I, you ever been there? You ever gone to your knees? And I mean, I'm, I'm getting down. I'm starting my prayer. God struck them down. Huh? I don't mean any of y'all. I'm talking about people overseas. But, you know, um, <laughs> but you can't even get that thought out and you're going to have a conviction. No, God, that's not what I want. Because if they died right now, they'd go to hell. That's not what we're called to do. Pray for everyone. We should be praying. Hear me. And don't get a sound bite out of this. Even Hamas. What they're doing is wrong. It is wicked. It is evil. They should be punished for it. And they deserve what they get. But as believers, we should pray. Pray that God would intervene. That Pray that they would become saved. And if they did, they'd put down their weapons. And, and they would embrace their brothers and sisters across the border. Amen. We, 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 we're called to pray for everyone. We're called to pray for our leaders. I don't care if you like them or not, if you voted for them or not. I don't think any of them are worth much, to be honest with you right now. They all need our prayer. I, I can't. I, anybody come to mind, you think in, in leadership right now doesn't need prayer? I mean, Y'all think that about me even, so yeah, and rightfully so. Gospel's not hinging on politicians. That's not what it's about. But we should pray for them because we're called to do so for our sake as much as theirs. 
I want you to consider this. The early church, they're praying for Nero. They're praying for the one that was uh, created Christian candlesticks, wrapping men and Christian men and women around poles, pouring oil on them and lighting them on fire to, uh, to, to light their pathways. They're praying for him. What's the first thing Jesus did on the cross? Nailed up there, hoisted up, and his first words, Father, forgive them. He prayed. For who? For, for, the, for the men that had nailed him to the cross, for the traitors that had placed him there, for the, for the leaders that had, had put him through the kangaroo courts and falsely accused him and, and falsely tried him and, and convicted him. And Jesus prayed for them. Let us give thanks. In our final prayer time together today, be thankful. Survey your life. Not just the things that you don't like, the things you won't fix, the things you won't better, the things that are hurting, but what about the things that are good? Every one of us had the breath of life given to us this morning. We were all able to, maybe uh, for some it was easier than others, but you're here. We've got another day. We've got today. If nothing else, we can be thankful for that. Let's take time to give thanks. Remember that we're called as forgiven, redeemed people who have so much to be thankful for, to pray for others who don't understand that blessing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hear our prayers. Father in heaven, we thank you for hearing our prayers, and together we say, amen. I want to thank you so much for not only being here today, but participating as well in our time of prayer. Each week as we've gone through this, we've had an application, a homework assignment, if you will. Week one, I asked you to commit to that daily private prayer time, to continue that, and then to, on week two, to add to that a, a prayer walk of your choosing. Week three, that you would pray with a spouse, a child, or a prayer partner of your choosing, someone to be accountable to. Last week then was uh, to commit to fasting, whether that be for, for, from food, cell phone, internet, TV, whatever the case may be, social media, whatever it is that robs you of your time with God. It was a special time, I know, for Christy and I this week in, in our fasting. 
And this week, then, I want to encourage you to do this. Something I asked uh, the, the pastors uh, a year ago that, that we prayed through together and continued for an entire year, and that is I want you to lift up a God-sized prayer. That, that prayer that you can't do it. Nobody can get credit for it but God alone. What, what is your God's? What, what is it you're taking before God? And, and it's kind of that God or bust prayer. And you're believing him for it. And, and continue that prayer then throughout this year. But what is it that you're asking that is so big that only God can do it? Let me say this also as we close out and leave. Uh, we are going to begin a monthly prayer time, prayer meeting, if you will, here at Northside. It's going to be the first Wednesday of every month. It'll begin at 6 p.m. You can pray for minutes or for hours. We're going to begin by, by meeting here in the auditorium. The first one will be the, the first Wednesday of November. I believe that's November the 1st. And I want to encourage you to come. In that time, it's not going to be your typical. We're not going to have a, a paper in the back to sign up or sign in or, or list of prayers. Uh, there's not going to be singing. There's not going to be preaching. We're just going to be praying. And I want to invite all, all ages, all, everyone, come and let's just pray together. We're going to continue that the first Wednesday of every month. I, I hope you'll join me in that. At the close of our service, there are deacons and their spouses and other staff members available at the front row that would love the opportunity to, to pray with you, pray over you. And my wife, Christy, and I, we will be at the, the lobby to my left. We would love that opportunity to meet any of our first-time guests as well today. But let's stand together as we close in song this morning. Let's sing together. I need the
Lord, thank you for hearing our prayer. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. We're so excited that you chose Northside to worship today. Be safe. We'll see you next Sunday.